0: Good morning Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. In Riverside today, expect a toasty high of 78.8 degrees with a mild low settling at 59.0 by evening. Now, diving into today's top stories. First, we will delve into the Supreme Court's deliberations on a landmark case that could revolutionize the U.S. tax system and significantly impact the federal budget. The implications of this case stretch far and wide, with potential effects on every American taxpayer and government-funded program. Next, we'll pivot to the energy sector. Despite outward commitments to sustainability, there seems to be a troubling gap between what oil companies promise and their actual efforts towards combating climate change. We're decoding the language of the oil giants, assessing the tangible steps being taken, and asking tough questions about the future of climate action. Stay tuned as we unpack these pressing issues, bringing you the in-depth analysis and expert opinions you've come to expect from Alex's News. In a pivotal case that could redefine the federal tax code, the Supreme Court is currently hearing arguments in Moore versus United States. A provision from the 2017 corporate tax cut is under the microscope, and the implications are far-reaching. To dive deeper into this, we're joined by our reporter, Ethan. Ethan, can you walk us through the current situation?
1: Absolutely, Grace. We're looking at a key provision of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, commonly referred to as the TCJA, which was enacted under former President Trump the provision in question is the mandatory repatriation tax, and Charles and Kathleen Moore are challenging its constitutionality. They claim that this tax exceeds Congress's authority under the 16th Amendment.
0: The 16th Amendment has been a cornerstone for income tax in the United States. What are the Moore specifically arguing here?
1: Well, Grace, They're arguing that the MRT isn't in line with the amendment because it applies to income that corporations had kept offshore and, in a sense, retroactively taxes income that was earned before the law was passed. If the Moors win, the federal government might have to reimburse billions of dollars, which could send shockwaves through the nation's budget.
0: That sounds like it could create a major upheaval. What has been the response from the academic community, especially those specializing in tax law?
1: Tax law professors are sounding the alarm grace. They've warned the Supreme Court that reversing the MRT could lead to the invalidation of numerous tax laws and put a big question mark over Congress's ability to enact similar rules. It's not just about this one tax, it's the broader authority of Congress to impose income taxes that's at stake.
0: Turning to the political side of this, it seems this case has drawn together quite a broad coalition of supporters for the tax. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Indeed, it's quite an unusual alliance. We have the Biden administration and conservative figures like Paul D. Ryan standing behind the defense of the offshore earnings tax. Their objective is to uphold the entire tax system and the integrity of Congress's taxing powers.
0: And what about the groups that are supporting the Moore's challenge? What's their perspective?
1: On the flip side, organizations like Americans for Tax Reform, Cato Institute, FreedomWorks, and Manhattan Institute are rallying behind the Moors they argue that siding with the Moors could prevent Congress from introducing something like a wealth tax in the future, which they believe would be beneficial for the economic landscape.
0: The Department of Justice is obviously defending the tax, but what's their key argument against the Moors' position?
1: Grace, the Department of Justice maintains that the MRT is just a tax on accumulated, previously untaxed corporate income. This makes it similar to other income taxes that are currently in effect according to them. They're joined by the American Tax Policy Institute in this stance, which points out that a decision in favor of the Moors could open the door to countless constitutional tax claims. That would burden not only the courts but also the IRS. Can you
0: speculate on the potential implications if the Supreme Court decides in favor of the Moors?
1: If that happens, we might see a fundamental reshaping of the U.S. tax system. The repercussions would extend well beyond the mandatory repatriation tax it would touch on various federal income tax elements and possibly the economy as a whole. This case is a hot topic for businesses, investors, and tax experts who are bracing for what could be an unprecedented change.
0: Thank you, Ethan, for that insightful analysis. This is indeed a story with potentially enormous consequences. We'll definitely be keeping a close eye on it. That's story one of two in today's news. We'll have more after this. And in our environmental segment, oil firms are on the hot seat again, this time at the current climate conference taking place in the United Arab Emirates. Here to break down what's happening is our own Chloe, who's been tracking this story closely. Chloe, I understand there's been a significant shift with oil companies at these talks?
2: Yes, Grace, that's correct. In contrast to past events where they felt unwelcome, oil firms including OPEC and major oil corporations are now actively participating in the climate dialogue. However, their presence is stirring quite a bit of controversy amongst climate activists.
0: That's quite interesting. Chloe, now, why would these companies want to be involved in the climate talks in the first place, given their history with environmental issues?
2: Well Grace, these companies are under increasing pressure to address climate change. But at the same time, they're advocating for continued use of fossil fuels, which, as we know, greatly contributes to global warming and coincidentally their bottom line. Overall, they're aiming to shape the conversation around energy and climate in ways that could benefit their interests. So,
0: they're trying to find common ground while maintaining their industry. I've heard that the language used by oil companies tends to be quite coded. Could you elaborate on the key phrases they're using?
2: Absolutely, and NPR has made a notable attempt to decode these phrases. For instance, when oil companies say, low carbon, or, lower carbon, they're speaking about cleaner oil and gas extraction methods but it's critical to understand this doesn't equate
0: to zero-carbon emissions. That sounds like a bit of a linguistic titrope. What about their take on unabated fossil fuels? This is
2: where it gets tricky, Grace. Unabated fossil fuels are, in essence, emissions that go straight into our atmosphere. The oil firms argue for abating these emissions with carbon capture and storage technology. Yet, there are valid concerns about whether this technology can be scaled up effectively to make a real difference.
0: And how are they addressing the balance of meeting energy needs while also mitigating climate change?
2: That brings us to their use of the terms, reliable and affordable energy, which usually translates to them as oil and gas. Despite the rise of renewable energy, fossil fuel companies often highlight the downsides of renewables, like intermittency, and emphasize the costs of technology
0: transition. It's a complex scenario. I'm curious, Chloe, how are they positioning themselves regarding the Paris Agreement? The term,
2: Paris aligned, has become a bit of a buzzword in their vocabulary, grace. Oil companies claim they support the Paris Agreement's targets. However, their idea of alignment and the actual requirements to move away from fossil fuels to avoid the worst climate impacts are quite at odds. It calls into question the feasibility of aligning ongoing fossil fuel use with the stringent
0: goals of the Paris Agreement. With all of this in mind, what could be the potential implications or consequences if these companies continue on their current trajectory?
2: If we factor in their current course and climate scientists' warnings, the implications are dire, grace. The Paris Agreement, for example, demands a near-total phase out of coal by 2040. Fossil fuel production needs to end much earlier in wealthier countries to reach just a 1.5 degrees Celsius warming limit, And really, we're looking at a drastic overhaul of energy systems and financial support for developing countries in their transition.
0: In attempting to move forward, are companies investing in any technology that could lead to genuine change?
2: They are, Grace. Companies like ExxonMobil, Chevron, and BP are putting money into carbon capture and storage technology. However, critics argue this is not enough and that the industry must take greater steps to meet global energy needs in climate-friendly ways the bottom line is, there's a high level of skepticism regarding whether oil and gas companies can truly align their business models with the urgent demands of climate change.
0: It seems like there's still a long road ahead in reconciling the oil industry's interests with the goals of climate activism. Thank you, Chloe, for that comprehensive analysis. We'll surely be keeping an eye on how these talks develop. Good morning, listeners, and thank you for tuning in. Here are some other headlines we have for you today. In education, schools are under fire as a worrying trend emerges of children being sent to emergency rooms after exhibiting behavioral issues. This has sparked a debate on how best to manage student discipline. With the political spotlight shining brightly, the fourth GOP debate is fast approaching. And it's set to be a crucial moment for News Nation, the cable network hosting the event. All eyes will be watching as candidates take the stage. On the international stage, President Putin of Russia schedules strategic visits to Saudi Arabia and the UAE amidst the escalating Israel-Hamas conflict. The world waits to see the outcome of these high-level discussions. In the United States, the legal saga continues with Hunter Biden looking to subpoena former President Trump's documents in a gun-related case, a move which prosecutors are fervently opposing. The Middle East sees a further surge in tension as Israeli military forces step up strikes into Gaza's second-largest city. This marks a significant and somber escalation in the war that's already claimed too many lives. In a local story with global implications, a young Palestinian student's tragic shooting in Vermont has sparked a massive fundraising effort, raising over $950,000 after the student was left paralyzed. Turning to the economy, China receives a negative adjustment from Moody's over concerns of economic slowdown, but US markets may find some respite as volatility funds and options dealers show signs of support. In the tech world, Apple appears to be wrangling with regulatory pressures in India similar to those in the European Union, as it hints at exclusive releases amid concerns over local production targets. And amidst the serious news, there's one story sure to bring a smile to your face. A thousand Santas have traded in their sleds for bikes, flooding the streets of downtown Milwaukee in a delightful display of holiday cheer and community spirit. It's a reminder of the joy the holiday season brings and the magic that happens when people come together for a cause, even one as simple as spreading happiness on two wheels. That's a quick look at what's making the headlines today. Now, let's carry on with the rest of the day's news. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.